0: All right, so I'm currently on the phone with Noah. He's another one of the musicians that reached out about the Interview Series. So I'm going to go ahead and give him the chance to introduce himself.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Noah Veche. Um, Thanks so much for having me on here. I am a uh, freelance woodwind doubler living in New York City right now. So that kind of encompasses a wide range of things. Uh, As a freelancer, I play really any show that comes up. Um, I do a lot of corporate work with touring bands or tribute bands. Uh, Right now, I'm with a group called Almost Elton John. That does a Billy Joel Piano men tribute with Elton John. I, it's based off the concert that they did uh, many years ago. So I play tenor sax and clarinet with them. And uh, mostly if you're a woodwind doubler, you kind of lend yourself also to theater work as well. It, it branches out into many, many, many different things. But theater work is a kind of a mainstay for what I do. So that's why I'm in New York. And I also do regional work around there as well as weddings. And really anything that will have me and wooden players kind of, like I said, they, they go through a wide range of different things, different hats you have to put on. So that pretty much sums up everything I do these days.
0: Awesome. I already have a, a couple questions that we'll get into. Um, so uh, with these interviews, I always kind of like to go back to square one and find out, you know, how you first got involved in music and what about it was, you know, inspiring enough for you want to for you to want to you know, be a part of it.
1: For me, that was for me. um, I'm uh, I'm in my 30s now, so I was growing up in the 90s, and for me, that was kind of a time when everybody starting to get into all the computer work, IT stuff was becoming, you know, office work was becoming a thing with the internet and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, at the time, I got into music because it was probably, and I'll talk a little more about what I mean by all this, but. It was a hands. it was a skill with your hands and I loved making something. So for me, it was sound, you know, you make sound if you're a musician, obviously. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was something that you had like a skill and like being a chef or something. You can never take that away from somebody once you know how to cook. And -hmm. for me, that was the attractant to me as I loved. And I was in sixth grade when I first started. And in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I was first learning. I, I loved being you know, part of something that was making something, even if it didn't sound that good in sixth grade, it was still, you're creating music. And I enjoyed that. That was the attractive to me.
0: Sure. And so I would assume with uh, your background in saxophone and uh, clarinet, I believe you said, um, uh, you were part of the school like band curriculum and all of that.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. In my, uh, I was growing up in Atlanta at the time we all started in sixth grade. I know it changes. I think New York, they start in fourth or fifth with some instruments, but for me it was sixth grade.
0: Okay. And then did you do that all the way through senior year and then
1: into college as well? or? Yep. I did it through high school. Um, and then I went to school in Atlanta for a saxophone performance major as well in my undergrad.
0: Oh, nice. Very cool. So that entire time that, uh, you know, you were in kind of the the institutional learning environment, did you also kind of branch out and work with uh, like other musicians as um like in the garage band aspect or like in any other capacity?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, as the, the doubler thing, you have to just put on a million different hats because you play all these instruments. And I was at the time still, you know, promoting myself as as being available for gigs. So I would get calls to play with you know, little rock bands and really anything. It's hard to even pin it down to one. But I, I remember doing a lot of bar gigs with uh, Chicago to, uh, tribute bands, any kind of stuff like that. But you you have to do it all. So yes, I was, I was trying to stay as busy as I'm sure every musician wants to be booked all the time. But I was trying my best at the time to also stay busy playing with other people. And of course, this is also the time when I'm learning multiple instruments. So in school, you're generally trying to meet other people who are mostly just better than you at that instrument and playing with them. So I tried to stick with as many small groups as I could to get experience, you know. That Color My World flute solo, I had to work on. That was one of the first things I had to play in public as a flute player, so that was, that took me a minute to figure all that out. And once you get, do it a couple times, then you, you know, you do something a million times. By the million and one time, you've, you've got it down.
0: Sure. And so when you were in college, you know, learning uh, performance, um, how much of that is actually focused on like the performative value of playing the instrument versus like the technical value of it?
1: Um, Well, this is I'll create some uh, some some disparages here. I think that going to school to learn an instrument is not the most valuable thing you can do as a musician. Um, it's very technical, I would say, especially for me in my case, I went as a uh, classical performance major. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very much something I think these days that lends itself to a career in the uh, as being a, a higher education. You know, if you go into a classical performance major, you will mostly learn the technical elements of it that will help you mm-hmm. teach rather than perform, I think. Unless you go to certain schools, obviously there are conservatories, mm-hmm. places like Juilliard. Um, I, those will help you, they will direct you really more towards the performance opportunities. But where I went to school, I felt like it was mostly gearing me up to become a, a, a higher, ed, higher education. Sure, and
0: uh, so to kind of dive into uh, the doubler component of it, um, why don't you give some detail about what exactly that means?
1: Uh, So doubler, I think most musicians could probably say they are some type of doubler. If you do more than one thing in the music industry, I would consider you to be a doubler as well. But uh, for woodwind doublers, it basically means that we play a certain family of instruments. Generally, this kind of involves um, saxophones, flutes, clarinets, and these days now as well, oboes. Um, So what you do when you get a musical theater book, is it'll tell you at the top of the book, and this is mostly musical theater. Obviously, you know, this kind of goes through any genre, really. The Elton John thing I mentioned has me playing clarinet parts Mm -hmm. and multiple saxes. But generally, musical theater is the avenue you'll find most of this popping up in. But when you get a musical theater book, it'll at the very top say something to the effect of, you know, read one, and there may be up to five read books. Read one, and it'll list the instruments. So maybe piccolo, flute, soprano sax, alto sax, clarinet, and you are expected to play all those instruments. Uh, this is something most people just get thrown into at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my undergrad, they just handed me a book and you know, it had flute parts. And I'd never played the flute before, but I had to pick it up if I wanted the book and I wanted the money. So um I was gonna would, say how, I would say for doublers.
0: How yeah. much how much crossover between the woodwind instruments do you think that there is? When you
1: first start, you think there's a lot. And then as you start to do it more, you start to realize there's really not that much crossover. The instruments are very different and unique Mm -hmm. and if you get up to the higher levels where you want to be playing them and and making decent money doing it you have to be able to play them as though it's your own own instrument so you can't play the flute like a a clarinet player Mm -hmm. plays you know you have to sound like a flutist and you're competing with people who play
0: only that instrument and that kind of harkens back to you know when these instruments were first created instruments themselves were created to produce a certain type of sound
1: yeah, and that's how they're written for too. You know, if if you have somebody who's orchestrating well or arranging well, they know how to they know how to deal with that. Like they they won't put your flute parts down in the low register. They'll put them as little sparkly things and you need to learn how to play technically <laughs> in the high register and mm-hmm. it, it's very much yeah, you start to learn that there's some character to each instrument and how to kind of play into that role a little bit better. So it's not really a soloist sort of thing. Unless it is a solo, then it is, but most of the time you are a character in these shows and they just want to hear A clarinet sound something like that sure absolutely so uh while you were you
0: know going to college and then also had uh you know your outside uh you know projects that you were involved in um how did you kind of envision where you wanted to go with it once you were out of college
1: uh i did i did not (laughs) envision where i wanted to go with it that's the trick is it's kind of an open-ended thing Mm -hmm. um I knew I wanted to do something that involved doubling, especially if once you do something like that, it's kind of like, well, I, if I can play these instruments, I want to actually keep playing them because I put so much time and energy into it. Mm-hmm. So I was, spent a lot of time trying to research, you know, places where you could do that sort of thing. And that's how I kind of, how I got into corporate work. As soon as I graduated, I also did a cruise ship contract for about a year and a half. Uh, so it's about two contracts. They're usually about six, seven months long. Mm-hmm. Um, And cruise ship work is good for that. It's a good way to get your feet wet. Um, It's a pretty professional environment. They'll come on and expect you to play pretty well. Um, And it's a lot of stuff. I mean, you'll get a different fly-on act who comes in. We have, you know, everybody comes in. That's where I met the guy, almost Elton John, who came in. He had a fly-on act. And, you know, you play a lot of that stuff. So as far as envisioning it goes... It's hard to say because you'll you'll end up doing everything. And if you're not a jazz player, I promise you, you'll get a call to play a jazz gig and you'll really wish that you could play jazz at that point. And you'll learn um, if you're interested in, in working, I think. You have to kind of do a little bit of everything. But as far as doubling, I envisioned, you know, obviously most of us want to be on Broadway at some point. So that was kind of my goal is to push towards where you're regularly working, regularly playing multiple instruments and probably have a little as much job security as you can probably get in the performing musical uh, industry. Sure,
0: sure. Um, so I, I couldn't help but notice that you used the metaphor of getting your feet wet while also mm-hmm. talking about a cruise ship. Yep. <laughs> That's, you <laughs> yeah. know. Maybe a little questionable there, but I think the, the message is clear.
1: Um, yeah, well, hopefully if you're doing your job right, you won't actually get your feet wet. You'll never end up in the water.
0: Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, you know, they could just throw you overboard. Um,
1: if you're that bad, yeah. <laughs>
0: you need to hit the practice room. Sure. So, uh, you know, once you kind of, you know, felt comfortable uh, as, you know, a professional at that point, um, what were kind of your ne- next steps there to look for the type of thing that you wanted to be
1: involved in? Um, that's tough because once if you do something like a cruise ship or a tour, you know, now everybody's kind of doing the musical tour thing. The, the trick is that when you go out on one of those things, you're also trying to develop a network at home, maybe where, mm. or wherever city you would like to work. And for me, that would be New York. So for me, it's like, if I go on a cruise ship or if I go on a tour, I have to think of that as also me kind of losing my network here Mm -hmm. Um, because you're going to be gone for, you know, six, seven months and all the people who you might have had calling you for gigs, you're going to come back and they had to find somebody else to call for those gigs while you were gone. Mm -hmm. And now that person is, you know, their first call and you have to kind of get back on the ladder. So for me, after I started to feel professional, that was really a point when I felt like I had to stop taking any gig that came my way and really start to grow a uh, better quality of gigs rather than higher quality or higher quantity of gigs, quality Mm -hmm. over quantity, sorry. So that was when I wanted to come and I wanted to come back to New York and I wanted to get an apartment and sit down. And that was for me, at least right now, that's sort of what I'm doing in New York City with the pandemic. Um, I'm kind of going through a, a phase where I'm thinking about going back to grad school right now just to get that network back. Sure. Um, but I would say after that point, if, you, if you're in a city where you already know you want to stay or you want to work, then staying in that city is, is key. It, you obviously need to get experience doing tours. But if you're older and you really you know, want to stay in your city, I would say tours can be a sort of a double-edged sword in that sense. So it's hard to get experience and build a network at the same time
0: right uh in regards to that uh, last fall i i interviewed a drummer that was really heavily into the cruise circuit and he the way he the way he put it was um when you're out there you're not here kind of thing yeah and
1: exactly that's exactly exactly
0: what you're talking about yeah
1: yeah and i've met some guys you know who are fantastic players who have been on ships for you know 20 30 years and and it is not a bad gig it's a great gig i mean when i was out i went through uh the Mediterranean, you know, I got to see Italy and everything. It's a fantastic gig, and you can literally spend your entire life doing it. And they'll give you raises, and you can make good money doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you want to be at home and you know have a backyard and a dog, you probably cruise ships are not for you. Sure. So uh,
0: that kind of leads us up to you know where you are now. Uh, you know what projects are you involved in, and what was the pathway to get into them?
1: Um, For me, it was mostly, uh, like I was saying earlier, with tours, you kind of, in my world, if you're doing that sort of thing, all roads sort of lead, come from New York. Um, All the shows that go out, most of the tours, they all start here. The contractors live here, and it's, if you want to know those people, you probably should either email them or call them or get your butt to New York so you can start to network with people who work with them and work your way into the circuit. Uh, But right now, that is essentially what I'm doing. I moved to New York maybe about three years ago, so about a year before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I had kind of gotten my way here from a musical tour. I was on a tour for a little while, and I came back, and I realized, hey, I don't really have any gigs here right now. There's nothing stopping me from just replanting myself in another city. So I did that, have been living here, and now I'm kind of doing a little bit as the pandemic kind of lightens up a little bit here. I've been getting a little bit more uh, regional theater work, some stuff. Ah, uh, subbing. You, if you, the goal is to get on a subway, a Broadway subbing chair, which is a whole system in of itself. If nobody, if you're not familiar with how subbing works on Broadway, it's a little complicated. But essentially, you just want to become friends with somebody who works on a show, and they need five people usually to be on their sub list. So if you're one of those five people, you can play on Broadway essentially, and you'll get your uh, sort of your intro to that world. And it's it's very competitive and everything. But you know, the way to do it is just to hang out in the city so i'm kind of right now i guess that just kind of planting my feet in new york for a little bit more longer as the uh, pandemic lightens up thinking about going to grad school and doing regional work right now and weddings and all that That season's coming up now it'll start in about april or so we'll start to see more weddings happening
0: awesome very cool um so uh what are like some of your favorite memories of the time that you've been in music whether it was you know playing on a cruise ship or any of the uh, shows that you've been a part of like what
1: what kind of keeps you motivated um, well, for one thing, the travel, I always, you know, as much as I think music is a extremely difficult career to, to have to go down, it was really cool because at the time, to- after I graduated college, I really got to see some amazing, amazing places in the world. I went to Australia. Like I said, I went to the Mediterranean, uh, saw England, a lot of cool places. I just went to Saudi Arabia about three years ago. Um, was it was at three, maybe, maybe two years. I think it was 20, no, twenty nineteen. About about three years ish, and the travel is amazing. And it something like that. You know, I always would tell my friends because they would have to go on these study abroad things, and I was like, and they would go to Italy, you know. And I would say, oh, Italy. You know, I I got paid to go to Italy, and uh, they would always get really mad at me for that. <laughs> but um, stuff like that. I mean, you have to be a good hang. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the part of the gist. And I remember a lot of my best memories were hanging out in um, just the bus, the tour bus, and some of the hotel rooms you got to stay in, and. Sometimes that experience is not really that uh, that great, but the people make it great. I had a uh, musical director one time who was really into sous vide cooking and he had a bucket and the whole thing. And in his hotel room, he would do this sous vide thing and he'd go out to a local Costco and bring back steaks and cook them in his hotel room. <laughs> nice. And they're some of the best steaks I ever had because, you know, mm. sous vide, the way it works, you don't really need a kitchen to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they're great. And it was amazing. So I had some really great memories of sitting in a Holiday Inn in a, in a king Suite eating a, uh, you know, a... 12-month-aged seared uh, T-bone steak or something like that. Things like that I, I remember very fondly.
0: Very cool. Um, so where can people check you out or you know, follow you on social media and see what you're up to? Um,
1: I have a website, uh, www.woodwininstitute.com. I haven't posted in a while. It's just an educational website, but it also has my contact info on there as well. Um, mostly I do consultations or lessons for people interested in playing woodwind instruments, you know, that's why I came up with the name Woodwind Institute. It's really very general, very broad. But I enjoy talking to people about this stuff all the time. I also have an Instagram under the same name, Woodwind Institute. Um, I check it I check it fairly regularly, but I've been a little lax in my posts. I'm not totally into the Instagram thing. It's, uh, it's tough for me to post. I don't really have to feel like I have much to say most of the time. But woodwindinstitute.com or the uh, Instagram page under the same name. Awesome. Um, so I always like to give the person I'm interviewing the
0: opportunity to you know, put out their last word. So just a message that you feel you resonate with.
1: Resonate with. Um, I would say I I hope that everyone who listens to music or is interested in films or anything like that that involves music production or anything that is aware of musicians generally. I think a lot of us, especially in the studio world, tend to kind of get the back seat and we don't take the spotlight most of the time. But I see a lot of people who um, are more interested in doing that sort of work, especially now that we have things like Netflix and they are coming out with movies so frequently. But um, I always tell people to, you know, pay attention to the credits, who did the orchestration, who did the scoring, who did the contracting, who's in the band and all that stuff. Check that stuff out because those people are some of the most talented people on the planet. And really in the United States as well, um, people talk about the culture of the United States and what, what do we offer? But we offer media, media culture is one of the biggest things we have in the United States with Hollywood and New York, obviously. So some of the people working today, if you check those names and you check those credits, you will find some of the most talented people in the world. And it's really cool. And they're really nice people. Send them an email. They will probably email you back. That's what musicians are very good at sending emails back to people if they want, if they want something from them.